Now we're going to uh, step from the announcement time into our time from hearing uh, testimonies from people in our community. So I'm going to welcome Jonathan Nolasco up here with me. Jonathan serves on our missions team over at the Green Lake location, and he is going to share a little bit about some of the things that he has been observing in uh, our broader church family around uh, the last month. So Jonathan, thanks for being here. We're happy to have you. It's good to be here again. This might be my fourth or fifth time at Eastside, so it's always a joy to just visit you all. Um, Yeah, so I think as I've been reflecting on this series, this is a unique series. I've been part of our MRJR work um, for the past five years, and there's been talks and hopes about a series like this, and I remember thinking, I was like, I don't know if we're ready yet, maybe we should kind of wait some time, and and there's this sense that as a community, what does it look like for us to, to be ready? We're never, like, perhaps completely ready, but there's a sense, like, can we, can we hear what we want to share? And I think what's been really meaningful for me in this kind of past five weeks is sensing that as a community, perhaps we have a posture now that can be able to receive what we're uh, here to share. And I think as we come to our conclusion of these five weeks, it's, it's, I think, helpful to just take a moment to pause, reflect, and say... This series is not the end-all, be-all of our work, but just one piece of a larger commitment to this work. And so my hope is that we can take a time to just reflect and discuss more what that looks like as we move forward. And as I sum up, for me, what has been really meaningful for this past five weeks, I'll sum it up by listening, just the, the subcategory of listening, which can seem like a very kind of almost boring, unspectacular verb in the context of racial justice and protests and activism and transformation. When we think about listening, it seems, yeah, a little passive. It's like, what's, what's so significant? Yeah, sure, it's important, but not so much the heart when we think about racial justice. But I've been convinced in the past uh, few years that this is central to our work, that we won't be able to move forward as a community unless we're able to really dial down this practice, which I love um, the video uh, that Megan shared in, in her own experience of listening, like how transformative that was for her, not just for her, but for the relationships around her. And so a way that I've experienced this um, was when I um, preached at Green Lake a few weeks ago, and I poured my heart into this sermon. Everything I had, my story, my mind, my soul, I gave everything I could. And it's the 8 a.m. service, I'm sharing, and I see some kind of engagement. 8 a.m., they're kind of a choir crowd. And Bethany, just in general, they're a little, they're, you know, a little more relaxed. But I see some nods, I see some engagement, I'm excited. I'm like, okay, things like they're listening. And so I finish my sermon, I go sit down, and I see some texts, and people are very encouraging and affirming, and I just broke down, and I start crying, and I start weeping, and for context, for those who don't meet, that's not a regular practice in my life, and I don't know what's happening. I'm not sad, necessarily, but I'm overwhelmed, and then the song finishes, I have to go up, give a benediction, I'm still kind of like blubbering, and I don't know what's going on, and and yet there's something profound about what happened, and it took some time for me to reflect, like, what just happened there? And I realized in a meaningful way, I had felt listened to. I had poured so much of who I was into what I shared, and in some meaningful ways, I felt like my community listened to me. And that was powerful, that was healing, and in some ways transformative, and I was just overwhelmed by that moment. And so that was beautiful, that was good, but also, on the other side of that, I did receive an email from a fellow who, for without going into all the details, seemed to have not listened to what I shared, made some assumptions about me and what I was saying, 
And, um, and that, was, that was hurtful. There's a sense, like, perhaps we can all resonate what it feels like to not be listened to, not be heard. And in the context of racial justice, there's the history behind that. The history is, here's a community for, for centuries, different communities have not been heard, have not been listened to. And so that's uniquely painful, it's uniquely wounding, and it's just a, a reminder for us that that's, in many ways, the call. There's a lot of work to be done. It doesn't end with listening, but it can't proceed without it. And so um, that's a bit of my story. That's also my hope for this community as we move forward, that we become a community who, who truly listens. And I want to tie it back to um, Scripture that all the other locations, they're kind of going through um, Act 6. And if you're unfamiliar with that story, the early church, they're growing, more disciples are being added, and they're navigating a new tension. There's these group of what's called like Hellenistic or Greek-speaking Jews who become Christians, and some of these widows in this group, they're, they're complaining. They're saying, hey, the food distribution to us isn't being fair. We're being treated differently than the other Christians. And so the 12 apostles, rather than dismissing that, rather than minimizing that, rather than just ignoring it, they listen. They listen to these widows, these marginalized people, and say, okay, we're going to choose a team of leaders from the same background to oversee the food distribution to help take care of this injustice. And there's a lot of ways to read that story. But for me, especially in this series, in this week, I really see it as a story about listening. A community inspired by God's Spirit, moved by God's Spirit, to listen to one another. And so that's my hope for this community, for this work, for this church, um, that we learn to listen to God as God is speaking to us through our scriptures, but also through our own stories, um, which I think is just so key, um, particularly to the work of racial justice. So that's a main takeaway for me. Thank you for listening to me um, for the past five minutes. I really appreciate that. And I'm going to invite our next uh, testimony, Monica, to come up and, and just share her from her own story. Monica, if you'd come up, thank you so much. Um. <laughs> thank you, Monica. Yeah, you can hold up closer. Okay. Okay. So, good morning. Good morning. Um, so, we're going to start with do we have it up here? Oh, it's right here. Oh, um, we're going to start out with this. Jesus loves Seattle. And then we're going to come back to it. On May 1961, four white strangers met by chance after seeing a play, Raisin in the Sun. Have you all seen it? Um, there's a message in there. And these four people never knew each other, but they came afterwards to discuss that play about the message. Then they started talking about Seattle and segregation in Seattle, and they wanted to do something about it. They started CORE, which is in this book, C-O-R-E, which means Congress of Racial Equality. They spent many days with many people, many days, weeks, months, and years on various campaigns to end discrimination and segregation in Seattle. This, I believe, was the Lord tugging at their heart, and they listened to him. He also brought them together. This was all from God. So with the help of other people, they helped open up employment for minorities in Seattle in the grocery stores and retail stores. They also um, helped them employ them in city bus service and taxi cabs. They also helped with many changes in the education department, in the Seattle Public Schools, and real estate. 
housing. But not all happened according to their plan, but they sure brought the attention and opened up a big eye for me. When I read this book, it just opened up my eyes so much because I've lived in Seattle my whole life. I am 70, 70 years I've spent here, and I never knew CORE existed. When I started, when they were in the midst of all this, I was starting junior high. I was going to a school that was brand new in the West Seattle area called Louisa Boren on Delridge Way. <laughs> so this school consisted of 50% black and 50% white. We had no idea what we were coming into. The, the black kids came from High Point. They lived in a housing project up, up in 35th North Southwest. They came down a big stairwell to come to Delridge Way to the school. That stairwell is still there, and that school is still there. So they had, this year, that year, I faced for the first time racial turbulence. I was chased down the hallways in between classes with long knitting needles being poked at me. We had fights at the bottom of the stairwells. We'd hear about, oh, there's going to be a big fight at the end of the stairwell. So there was a lot of tension going on that year. I never questioned it. I just accepted it. But now I understand it through what I just read. Their parents were very frustrated because they were not getting jobs that the white people got. They were frustrated because they didn't get the housing. They didn't have opportunities to buy houses like the white people got. So their frustrations went in carried down to the children, and the children came to school and took it out on us, and we, white kids, didn't understand it. We didn't know what we did, but we were so confused, but we were also very scared. So why would something like this happen? Just because they're black and we were white. Well, I'll tell you why. The black parents were not treated equally. Not at all. So then I started high school, and my parents bought a house in Wallingford, so we moved north in the Wallingford area. I went to Lincoln High School, very predominant white neighborhood, very predominant white school. But there was a bus of black children that came from the central district to our school. One of the girls on the bus, she and I clicked. We became really good friends, and we stayed friends through high school and even after high school. We learned a lot from each other. She had a relative that worked with me at the Blue Mouse Theater downtown where I worked after school. She was very light-skinned, but she made herself even lighter by wearing very light foundation on her face. And I never asked her why. I just thought she was ashamed of being black. But that wasn't it at all. And I know now, through this book, she wasn't given the opportunity for any good job. She was older than I was. And... Now I know why, because later on, she got a job at Frederick & Nelson. Do you remember Frederick & Nelson downtown? Does anybody remember that? Eight floors of heavenly bliss in my eyes. Um, <laughs> she got a job in the women's department with the, on the fifth floor where the women's um, dresses were. And she didn't have to work. She didn't have to cover herself up anymore. She could be herself because she was hired on as a black person at Frederick and Nelson. 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring up a few people that really helped the Seattle community. Well, I don't know if you know any of them, but Norm Rice, Ruby Chow, Sam Smith. Norm Rice was the first and only black mayor that Seattle had. One of the things that he did in Seattle was he redeveloped the Yesler Terrace housing project down the south end. This is, low, this is for low income and immigrants. And he, uh, he made such a change. And I saw it before and after. And he not only rebuilt the buildings, he put in sidewalks, he put in bushes and trees, and there's a community center there. It's amazing down there. He did that. Ruby Chow was a dropout at Franklin High School. She got jobs in restaurants because she, she dropped out to help her um, parent, her mom help raise, um, support her 10 siblings. So she went into the restaurant business. She opened up the first Chinese restaurant in Seattle called Ruby Chow. It was up on Bourne. I used to live across the street from it. But she was also in the King County Council, and she pushed, one of the things she did is she pushed to offer bilingual educating for newly arrived students. Sam Smith, very big. He did so many things. He was on the city council. One of the things he did was after four attempts, not one, not two, not three, but four attempts, he didn't give up. He got past the state's open housing law, which ensured that all people, regardless of race or religion, could live wherever they pleased. My question is, why did it take these minority leaders to do, make a difference in the minority community? Why was it just the minorities that did that? Okay, we're gonna go back to this. So, Jesus loves Seattle. I saw that, I'm a school bus driver, I saw this on my route on Roosevelt in front of a, a church there, and I thought, wow, this is great. Jesus loves Seattle. So my question is, if Jesus loves Seattle, doesn't that mean everyone in Seattle? And as Christians, shouldn't we be doing the same? In Romans 15:7, it says, therefore accept each other, just as Christ has accepted you, so that God will be given glory. So all the people, the meaning is all minorities, all the homeless, the handicapped, homosexuals, transgenders, yes, they are all God's people. And I work with every one of those. My boss is homosexual. I work along transgender, transgenders. I drive a McKinney-Vental route, which is an assisted program for homeless children. I also drive um, handicapped children or special needs. It hasn't been easy, but I'm still learning to love all people. I may not like how they look, I may not like how they live their life, but I love them because God told me to love them. And then my, I'm ready to close. This is at my load zone where I go now at, do you see it? Do you see that word right underneath stop? It says stop racism. This is at my load zone on the street in Ballard um, at the uh, North Beach uh, Elementary School in Olympic Manor. When I see this, I ask myself, if things have changed like a lot of people thought things have changed, why is this even here? Why did somebody put that there? So my question to you and to me and to anybody that sees that is when you see that, do you just accept it? 
Do you question it or do you ignore it? And that's it. I just want to end with this. I just want to say happy Halloween. I mean, it can be still happy, right? <laughs> Thanks, Monica. Okay, we're going to stand up. Everybody stand up real quick. Move around just a little bit. We have some wiggles we need to get out. Monica, thank you so much. And thank you to Jonathan. Okay, everybody can return to your seats. Uh, We are going to move through these next few testimonies, hopefully quickly. So Julie Vanderlyn is the next person coming on up. So Julie, thank you for sharing. And then Vincent, you'll be up next. Thank you. Good morning. Um, So I was invited to share a little bit about where I've landed in regards to racial restoration, and I felt a little, actually, I felt a lot like I was the wrong person to uh, be asked, like, not sure where that came from, (laughs) Um, but I think, I actually think I even laughed, (laughs) but um, ever since entering the role of motherhood, I just feel really sidelined from active participation or forward movement in community involvement or efforts with important issues like racial restoration. Um, I have a lot of thoughts and feelings about the hard realities our society is facing with racism, but I feel really stuck with what it looks like for me to do something more. So here I am without really anything profound to say. Um, The beauty and hardship of motherhood is being able to focus on the people right in front of me. Um, Learning, with the help of God and family and friends, how to raise children to love God and love others. So simple to say, so hard to put into practice. Um, So I ask myself questions like, what does loving others look like to me? Uh, what do I want other loving others to look like for my girls? Um, and how does our idea of loving others look different than someone else's idea of loving others? Uh, how do we respond when we mess up? Because that will happen too. So I'm learning and feeling the huge responsibility that I carry as a mom to help my girls learn about God and the world that he made. Uh, one he made for us to enjoy and to care for, um, people he made for us to enjoy community with and also care for. Romans 2.12 says, Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I am an input person. I love to learn and take in new information because learning helps me feel informed, and feeling informed gives me confidence to act. So much, so much work for racial restoration for me starts with my own heart, my own learning and reading and digging deep to consider how shalom can be found. And this sermon series has offered that for me, a jumping off place for me to consider where I need to learn and grow. Um, the work also plays out in parenting and raising two little people to be different, to think differently, to respond differently than the patterns of the world. Uh, So far, for my girls, that means reading diverse books, age-appropriate books that share different perspectives, different skin tones, different family structures. Um, We also keep things scientific and talk about melanin. Um, Elise, almost daily, 
points out other people she sees who have a different level of melanin in their skin than she does. And the other day, she shared with me that she noticed not many people in her preschool have a lot of melanin. So she's noticing, and she's making connections, and I'm learning how to respond. So where am I sitting with my role in racial restoration? Uh, In this season, my all-important work is with my own heart and with instilling in my girls a great appreciation of and care for each unique person God has made. Uh, Those two cornerstones alone leave me feeling a bit overwhelmed about how to do it well, but also matter a whole lot. Um, And I'm so thankful for a church community that will wrestle with big, important issues alongside my family. Okay. Okay, well done. Thank you, Julie. All right, Vincent, if you're ready, come on up. Uh, What a great word we've been able to hear from such different voices. So if you get a chance to later, please uh, thank these folks for sharing their hearts. All right, you're up, my friend. Thank you. Um, I guess I'll try not to drop this thing here. <laughs> um, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Vincent Lee, and um, this morning I kind of wanted to share with you uh, my own personal story, my uh, experience with uh, restoration, and uh, how God has been at work uh, in my own heart. And in truth, I, I really struggled uh, with what to share and how to share this uh, testimony. But I think uh, over uh, the past few weeks, uh, I, I feel and I see and experience the designs of, of God at work in my life uh, that has brung, uh, brought me here in front of you. And uh, you know, in the conversations that I've had in, in our breakout sessions, uh, in my conversations with Megan and George and uh, other people. So the, the beginning of my story starts... Um, right before the pandemic, or actually a little bit before that, when I first got married, uh, before the pandemic. And I had started renting out my house that I lived in before uh, I got married. And um, uh, at the beginning of this year, uh, I was uh, eager to, to sell it. You know, the, the market uh, was hot, and uh, interest rates were low. Remember those days? <laughs> However, I could not at the time because there was a moratorium in place against uh, lease terminations and evictions. And uh, this moratorium had been you know, established to protect those that the pandemic had uh, impacted disproportionately. And as Monica and others have shared from their experience uh, in Seattle Black and White, you know, the, um, uh, a, a lot of the uh, inequality that uh, uh, is, you know, rooted in our city uh, has um, uh, been uh, impacted. A a lot of people uh, have been impacted very disproportionately by the pandemic or hanging by a thread, and uh, this moratorium is what saves them. Um, But this moratorium also affected me. And... As the weeks of January and February passed, I found myself constantly checking the news as well as the city council website, hoping for some update or announcement that it had been uh, lifted. And uh, I remember 
talking to a coworker and a friend and venting my frustration about how, you know, Seattle was one of the last places in the country to lift this moratorium and about how, you know, how my rights were being ignored. What about my right to sell my property? I wasn't thinking very carefully, and I was thinking very selfishly and very narrowly. And then just this week, actually, you know, my wife had been away on a business trip uh, out of state, and uh, she had uh, gotten back, and we were talking uh, about her trip over the breakfast table. And she mentioned that she had been reading uh, the book that Ryan had been uh, leading a discussion over, Seattle Black and White. And she shared that, you know, she had been reading the book and she saw this photo that was really provoking for her. It was a photo of a political campaign poster from the 1960s uh, here in Seattle made by those who opposed the ending of discrimination in housing in Seattle. Um, and when she showed me a photo of the poster, the words, your rights are at stake, emblazoned in large capital fonts across the top of that poster. She told me that she was amazed at how the language of those who opposed change and justice echoed the same language of our partisan stripe today. The right to do what exactly, she said. Yeah. However, when I saw those words, my heart felt really heavy with guilt and shame, for I knew that I had used those ex nearly the exact same language earlier this year when I spoke with my friend. And at that moment, I realized how I had become complicit to the same mentality that has led to so much injustice in our city and in our world. And this is a sad reality that both we and the world of uh, the disciples both faced in the early days of the church. The banality or the ordinariness of the foundations of injustice. There doesn't need to be a you know, cackling, epic figure of evil. You know, and I see a lot of uh, people here in costume today, you know, Harry Potter and whatnot. There doesn't need to be a Sauron from the Lord of Rings or a Voldemort <laughs> um, in order to, for evil to exist in our city. Much of the injustice, I realize, is just us, everyday people, going through our everyday lives with our everyday concerns. And I realize that this is why it's so pernicious. And I, you know, I realized that I could say that um, this story, my story is complete, that there's a nice happy ending, that I made some penance to this, but it's not. It's a work in progress. <laughs> and because for me, uh, this moment of realization was my catalytic moment, as Travis had challenged me to find a few weeks ago. And I'm thankful for things like the book study that Ryan had been leading and the conversations that I have with my wife that create the opportunity to examine the blind spots in my own views of the world. To paraphrase um, a statement, uh, a statesman that I really admire, 
Acknowledging and owning our failings is not the end or even the beginning of the end of the process of restoration, but perhaps it can be a beginning. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Vincent. Wow. So here's what we've heard. Amazing, amazing words. We heard a call to listen. We heard a call to look back at our history. We heard a call to look at who is in front of you and how you can minister to them and care for them and learn. And uh, from just what Vincent shared and what Megan shared in her video, we heard a call to name the places that we have failed or fallen short. And I just want to commend all of you who shared testimonies that it took courage and it took conviction. It took kind of pushing through some doubts maybe. So thank you for that. Thank you for reminding us that the scriptures are our authority and that's what guides these opportunities and kind of forms them in each of our hearts. Uh, I am attentive to our time. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to suggest that we uh, take our, our, what would normally be our time for breakout discussions, and if you would like to have a discussion with one of our leaders about this subject or about anything that was discussed today, they will meet you in the lobby after the service. Uh, we want to honor our friends at IPC and the time that they need to come in and prepare for their service. Uh, so we will pray together after we have our word from Mary Ott. So Mary, if you're ready, please come on up. Uh, one of the things that has come up many different times in our discussions, and the MRJR team is especially aware of this, what's a practical step that people can take? What is just one step that a community like ours could take as we think about justice and reconciliation? And so uh, I'm happy to have Mary here, and I want to hand the mic to you so you can offer us a step. Hello. I'm Mary. I'm here. Um, so I am here to share about a Facebook group that my husband, Zach, actually told me about. I think Megan has an image. Ah, yes, the Black Lives Matter Bothell Run Club. Has anyone here heard of this? No? Well, you're about to. <laughs> so I have my phone up, so I'm also reading. Um, so this was started in the Bothell community group on Facebook, and... This happened in May of 2020. So that was after there were a lot of protests happening, a lot of injustice around the country, um, after George Floyd died and also Ahmaud Arbery. And if you need a refresher, that was when, I think it was in Florida, um, a black man was running, and then there were two white cops who saw him, or former cops, they saw him, they thought it was somewhat... He's just up to no good, and so they shot him, and then he died. And that just sparked numerous protests because it was just, you know, it's a citizen's arrest law that was from back, you know, during the slavery era. So it was just, you know, just a lot of really bad stuff. But, and so um, there was a family in Bothell. The wife posted on Facebook in the Bothell community group about her husband, who is black. He goes on runs in the community. And she posted, I'm going to read this to you. Um, she said, this is my husband. She posted a photo. In an effort to get healthy and stay fit, he started running in the morning. He usually runs early morning. 
If you see a black man running in the downtown Bothell neighborhoods, please know the only thing he is running from is his weight. But most importantly, he is also running home to his wife and two boys. And it's really sad that she had to post this just to prevent any misunderstanding. And so a lot of people responded to this Facebook post saying that they would run with him. And so then that sparked this Facebook group where people now post and say they'll go on runs together every day. And I think it's, it's still happening two years later. And it's in the morning, but I think it has grown since then. So now people run together just throughout the day. Any day they'll just post, hey, I'm going on run at 4 p.m. because I don't want to run at 5 a.m. And then other people will join and they all go on runs together. And it's just, it's not only keeping them safe or keeping especially that family safe, but also just growing that community of people supporting one another and just understand that there's so much more you can do. And this is a great practical step. So just wanted to share that with everyone. If you're interested and on Facebook, you can find this group. All right. Bethany, would you please stand? Before we pray, uh, just know that God has a purpose for you being here this morning. Maybe you heard something this morning that really stirred up something in your heart. Maybe you just got new running shoes this week and it's time for you to start running with this group in Bothell. Maybe you heard something you disagreed with. That's okay. This is an opportunity for us as a community to move forward As we close out this sermon series, it is a chance for us to take steps into the future that God desires with how God has been speaking into each of our lives. So we will pray together, and then Jonathan will offer our benediction. Let's pray. Jesus, we give the rest of this day to you. We're so thankful that as we gather for worship, you knew everybody in this room needed to be here, and you knew our hearts. You know our hearts. So fill us with your spirit as we leave from this place. Help us to be mindful of how our neighbors are interacting with these huge challenges around racial justice and reconciliation. Thank you that we are better equipped now as a result of looking at your scripture and considering the gospel. We're better equipped to talk about restoration. We're better equipped to live into the values of the kingdom. We'll never do it perfectly, but through your Holy Spirit, may we do the work of justice and reconciliation well in the week to come. We thank you for each person who shared their testimony. We thank you for the chance to be a church that is gracious and kind to each other. And we pray your blessing on our community as we move forward in this work. We pray for our friends at Inglewood. Thank you for their hospitality. Bless them as they gather for worship uh, right after we're done. And thank you that our kids could be a part of this discussion. Would you be planting into each of their hearts and sowing seeds of justice and righteousness and hope all through you, Jesus, and all through the power of the gospel. We ask this in your great name. Amen. All right, my friend Jonathan's going to come up and share our benediction. So this is a benediction that I grew up hearing every Sunday growing up. A very common, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. It's a, it's a benediction that feels like home. And when I preached a few weeks ago, I decided it would be fitting, um, given the sermon theme, to, to give it in Spanish because... Um, it's just a reminder that as we're listening to God, listen to others, that um, God speaks to us in voices that not only are we unfamiliar with, but voices that we often aren't used to listening to. And so you're probably familiar with this uh, text in English that I just kind of said it, but I'll say in Spanish and trust that God's, uh, God will speak to you in it as well.